The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to Dunked On Prime here from fabulous Las Vegas. The game isn't even over yet. And I already have walked back to my hotel room and we are recording uh, with uh, Lakers Pels. Not exactly close. Uh, We'll get to the better of the games later just because we finished witnessing this Pels Lakers game right now and it's fresh in mind. Let's do that first. This is something that we thought might be the case with some of the league's older players, particularly LeBron James and he was really fired up about the in-season tournament it seemed like from the beginning and he really i think wants to win the first one and he is going to have his chance on saturday night there was a stretch in the in the late first quarter where it looked like okay the pelicans things things are going pretty well for them they got some got some hustle points hit a couple of threes and you know like, okay they can like they're making this a game they were succeeding in some of the ways that we thought they could and then at the beginning of the second quarter that was the stretch for me where lebron really put his first stamp on the game he had plenty of stamps but but a, a big one where it was just him no anthony davis out there and they turned what was a one-point deficit into very quickly a nine-point lead, most of which was LeBron, including a couple of made threes. And we'll talk about that sequence a little bit. But for me, one of the other really remarkable things about James' performance was he decided to answer a question that you and I had in our preview of who's going to guard Zion Williamson mm. if it's not going to be the Lakers. And LeBron solved that by just doing it his damn self. It was one of the best performances that I've seen in person from James. And part of that is because the opposition was so overwhelmed by what he brought. But I can't remember the last time he was this efficient. 30 points in 23 minutes, 4 of 4 from 3, 8 of 8 from the line, 8 assists, took 3 charges in the first half, plus 36, uh, a well-earned game best uh, performance from him. And this is a game where, I, I mean, I can't remember the last time that watching James in person provided this kind of visceral thrill because he was just shot out of a cannon in this game like some of the cuts that he would make like he had the crowd ooing on cuts because they were just so fast and it was a very pro partisan lakers crowd but you could see everything developing throughout the game as he would see things and he would just start running and you're like well Something bad's about to happen for New Orleans right now. (laughs) And it, it was just truly a tour de force. He was the smartest player on the floor. He was playing harder 
than any player on the floor and at least for tonight he was the most athletic player on the floor it was just jaw-dropping to see it and i'm so glad that i was here to witness it because it was really a reminder of how good this guy has been and yeah maybe possible that he can't play like this for an entire playoffs or maybe he can and it just he was injured last year i mean that's the other thing is that he it actually is like healthy again now but yeah it, it was just remarkable we can talk a little bit more about some of the nuances of what he was doing but just overall he just completely embarrassed the New Orleans Pelicans. Like they had nothing. It it was a true aggressive vindication. Another one of the concept of the NBA Cup, where the you know we don't know that there are going to be old lions every year, but the idea that they can get up for a week in the beginning of the season, and you know the the group stage enough. I mean, LeBron was wonderful in the group stage. You and I both had him in tier one for MVP, and they ran roughshod pretty much over their group. The idea idea that okay you get one week you where you only travel once presumably you know between you know if if you make it all the way and he looked the best he's I, i mean honestly to me lebron looked better physically in this game than he did when they won the title in 2016 I don't know how that's possible, but he was uh, just on a possession by possession basis physically, like the speed that he with which he moved the dominance. And it wasn't every possession. He knows how to scale and all that but even better now than he did then. And it was on both ends of the floor. Now, I don't love that two of the charges were passing crash because of the way that rule works, but he was there and, you know, they were, they yeah, were, but, but he, critical. he, yeah, he was willing to give up his body. Like he, that yes. is, he, he against saves one of the, against these, one of the few people yeah. who can actually put a hurting on him in those situations. He, yeah, he saved, he normally saves the times where he really uses his physicality very judiciously and the thought the fact that he came out and set the tone by guarding zion and you know he was smart enough he was uh, on zion's left hand i don't recall more than maybe once that he actually got beaten by zion and you know he drew the two charges on zion i can't remember what the last one who he drew the other one on i think it was ingram yeah and like it just it made their whole defense work as well i mean anthony davis also is another guy who really causes zion problems and the whole oh well we'll just <laughs> the jonas felt just stretch stretch five like that i don't take care of that whole ad at the rim problem i, I don't know about that well they, uh, could, they could just leave valanchunas stretching that's pretty much what the, <laughs> what the yeah, lakers yeah. did and valanchunas did attempt four threes he made one of them and the lakers didn't care and uh, um lebron was lebron was incredible and that as you mentioned lebron taking on that assignment made it so that davis could be defensively especially the best version of himself at least the best version available i thought he had some really good disruptive moments and the pelicans and then they could throw reddish on cj who was non-existent and uh other than missing a bunch uh, of layups uh, in the second quarter and then they they were fine with prince on ingram uh especially considering again that they had a ad behind all of it and uh, they weren't too worried about herb jones uh, attacking d'angelo russell so yeah, not having to kind of like we thought. Okay, maybe they'll just put LeBron on Herb Jones, and no, they put him on like our, uh, the best player for the other team, and, and he completely delivered. The Pelicans did take a lot of shots in the paint during the competitive portion of the game. They took twenty. So I'm counting that as to the end of the third quarter. You could argue it and was over well before that. Um, How did they take so many shots in the paint in like the first six minutes of the game? <laughs> 
<sighs> but so they took 35 shots in the paint during the first three quarters. They were 18 of 35. That is a lower rate than you want. The Lakers were 18 of 24 in the restricted area during those three quarters. And the passes, some of the passes that James was throwing were incredible. And putting putting your teammates in a position to succeed both offensively and defensively has been a hallmark for James at his best moments and honestly even at some of his worst relative to himself. And like there was a stretch in the beginning of the game where D'Angelo Russell was super hot and it's because the Pelicans couldn't focus on him because they had so many other things to worry about. Reddish didn't need to do a lot offensively. I thought he he was totally fine. Rui had some Rui had a couple of finishes. Even Jackson Hayes, I thought he had a a good little stretch in the uh, I believe that was in the late first early second and James was unquestionably the best player on the floor and for somebody who turns 39 in a matter of days uh, the end the end of the month that's not that far away um it's it's incredible and in some ways you know as you know people who are getting older ourselves it was it was you know a version of life affirming you know that, that he could put that he could summon this and it now, for 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 the record, uh, you're gonna have to speak for yourself there. My body feels like shit, so so I, 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 I'm not feeling any better. Oh, <laughs> no, well, just the, just the idea of like, oh yeah, they can they they can get there, and so, so I think that the idea of like this is how the Lakers can work, you know, like the idea idea of putting the other players in position to succeed, and the Austin Reeves had some nice moments as well. But LeBron is is the straw that's stirring the drink. He's the one who's who's getting everything done. Yeah, and can, can I talk a little bit more about his performance before you? Of course, you, you shift away. I when he had, I, I don't know if it was, it might have been for fouls, but I think he had four or five just like cuts for layups. Basically, I mean, there was one that came to mind where Jose Alvarado, you know, pretty intense defender, like pretty heady guy in theory got matched up against lebron in like semi-transition and the action slows down a little bit and lebron he just knows okay what is jose alvarado gonna do he's gonna try to like get into me he's gonna try to like deny me on the perimeter so he just hard cuts right behind him uh, for a layup uh he knew that when he could get past the initial Pell's defenders that there would be nothing at the rim particularly when they went to like the Zion at center lineup which uh, did not work at all uh, defensively and we were like oh well the Pell's they do such a good job of like packing the paint uh forcing teams to be in from the outside and LeBron was just too smart for it like he just found the openings in the defense uh, to beat that and then he hits the three threes in the second quarter and he was four or four from three he made three of them in the three possessions in a row first one herb jones he just shoots over him then he takes one that's like two steps behind the line and then he takes one that's about five steps behind the line and everyone in the arena except for five people knew that he was taking that third shot because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he got the ball they you could hear this buzz uh, again starting to grow in the crowd and it, of course the pals like don't react to him and he hits another one Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them 
seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easy room slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout easy remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us well and then there was the hilarity that the possession after that austin reeves took a shot but it was it was a good shot that reeves it, took. Was, it was it was the, the awkwardness i want to give lebron stats from the second quarter because this will yeah. it will be a part of his legacy even if it's not a one of it 18 points six of eight from the field those three made threes three free throws as well two rebounds two assists 
plus 21 in nine minutes and 19 seconds. Yeah. And what's worth, uh, uh, and you know, the Lakers were actually negative with him off the floor in the first half. And then, uh, they were positive in basically any circumstance in the third quarter when they outscored the Pels 43 17 to, uh, take a slight bit of control. It just went final, actually, 133 to 89 for the Pels. Yeah. Seven to 31 from three. That's tough for sure and they missed some open ones but uh and it would have been nice they could have you know found Junis maybe makes a couple of corner threes or something like that uh Trey Murphy had some open ones in the second quarter that he wasn't able to knock down Lakers also went completely crazy from three themselves Prince was five eight but he's a good shooter right I mean yeah yes and when the Pals are doing things in the third quarter like not everyone knowing that they're in a zone and just giving up a wide open corner three after a dead ball uh, to Torian Prince not too impressive uh and Reeves is a pretty good shooter too and LeBron the way he was locked in I mean that's the biggest change in LeBron is that he's hitting shots this year and he said the reason he wasn't the last two years is because of the injuries and he just wasn't able to like practice uh, the way he wanted to so yeah pretty ridiculous I mean, what are your Seth tweeted about this? I was thinking much of the same. The Pels just, you know, completely embarrassed themselves in this game. We thought that they could be competitive. We also didn't really have a great feel for how it was going to go. And they just, they weren't ready to play. They had no answer for LeBron. They got completely outsmarted. Uh, Clearly, there were a lot of flaws from this game. And they just, it, it was awful. But as you looked ahead now to this stretch where hopefully they're going to be healthy and where they might even be able to be a playoff team as we think about them as a playoff team are there things that you take away from this or you just flush this down the toilet there are things that you take away from it and for me that primarily if we're talking not about this game but about the um kind of the the pelicans as a playoff team with this game as the lens the center position is a huge problem for them because you ideally want a center they're not going to be able to do everything you know not everybody can have a Jokic, can have an Embiid, and that and that's fine you want a center who does at least one thing that other teams have to really deal with, you know, like whether it's maybe they're a good passer like Shangun, maybe they can shoot threes, maybe they're a dominant post player, something like that. And Anthony Davis is better at when he's playing the five than damn near everybody that's out there. But Valanciunas just isn't up to that center to me. He's and then when you act add in the fact that he also doesn't do the elements like rim protection that are or theoretically you could say like what Bam does where it's like scheme scheme defense well enough to be that player on a team with expectation. And so there is justifiably a lot of optimism about the Pelicans overall talent level and the things that they can do when they're full strength. But between that and their lack of, you know, like true, like lead initiator creators, like they have guys who do other things, but they don't really have that. Like it's super strange to have a team this talented that two of the biggest boxes that I traditionally want checked for a team that I think is relevant. They just are. They're completely unchecked. I think that's a great way to put it. And I mean, I think, and particularly this season too, where Zion has looked better lately, but I also think he still is not at the point where he was before he got hurt last year. He's not at the point where he was obviously at Duke. He's not at the point where he was his second year, which is maybe the best that we've seen him overall was that second year. So there's him, Ingram, CJ, 
Like those three guys, my takeaway from this game was those three guys, their main guys aren't good enough and they're not built to put those main guys in a position to succeed. Like CJ for this game, it was just like, well, what what is it you do here? Right? Like it, oh, it that, was, I had that, I had that exact thought on Valanchunas. Uh, <laughs> well, well, Valanchunas at least like, you know, he'll exactly. knock some heads. He'll get some offensive rebounds. Like, like CJ, like he at least like they don't have another center. So he's not superfluous, right? Like CJ, when Zion and Ingram out there, like he just feels superfluous in addition to not necessarily being that good. Um, you know, like he, he's not really like a great spot up shooter. Like he, you know, he turned down a few shots. You know, he's not really very great attacking a closeout because, you know, he's not like a great finisher at the rim. Like he definitely smokes some, some layups. He's not really like a great passer or ball mover. So he's not really built to be like a number three, which is how they're built. But then also, he, you know, he's not amazing at kind of doing the number two stuff either. Like he just is not, they're not really running a lot of stuff through him. So it was, yeah, this kind of showed off of just like, okay, like what was the point of this acquisition uh, exactly other than, hey, Zion is out so we can make the playoffs this year. And what is the point of this extension? Like those are the kind of thoughts where you watch a game like this and you're having them and yeah, they'll look better. They'll make more shots. Like they're not, they're not going to look pathetic like this all the time but if you really get to me if you get into a situation against a serious opponent which is like where they're trying to get to uh the way that they're built it just they have a lot of good players as you know but you know they have no backup center so they have to go zion at center and that just completely fell they can't do anything defensively even when they put a bunch of their defensive wings out there and the lakers are just like really smart about how to attack a team with these weaknesses like they have absolutely no room protection on this team whatsoever uh they have no shooting at the center position right like you could think hey if we're gonna not have any room protection could we at least i mean jv made a couple of plays but like he's so much better than the rest of the guys that they have there that he stands out at least as a room protector but they don't if you're not gonna have any shooting and you're not gonna have a ton of room protection and you're not gonna have a mobility at the center position it's like we're we optimize for like a guy who's gonna post up an offensive rebound number one as like our fit next to these guys it just uh what did you make of zion and his game you know uh 13.6 of eight although some of that came after the game's already decided one of six from the foul line three turnovers i thought lebron defended him really well and zion there were a couple possessions where he really popped athletically but they weren't in the circumstances where it changed the way the lakers like yeah. played him like, in the were, first like, quarter he had some pretty good moments but that was about yeah, it yeah i mean he had he had one where he like flew around and got a really nice offensive rebound tip in and he no, had but a, you didn't like, have to clarify that it was a it, it was an offensive rebound i think we know that enough. if he got a rebound he, it was offensive yeah, he got he got <laughs> one he got one offensive rebound and he got one defensive rebound <laughs> in in 26 minutes of action here and you know, and and the other thing, um, the broadcast uh, doc brought this up was there were a few plays where Zion wasn't either he wasn't paying close enough attention or he wasn't diligent enough in transition defense. It was hard to kind of know which one, whether it was motor, or whether it was recognition. And so LeBron, he's fast. Like he he can when he's at his best, he's incredibly fast. But Zion just wasn't bothered. Whether it was that he didn't see it coming or he saw it coming too late. And I thought that the you know like possession by possession defense by Zion in the first half wasn't terrible but the problem is especially against this late 
Lakers team when they're defending well, slash when your team can't hit a three to save their lives, is that they it's it's kind of like a version of system buckets. Like if they can get 10 easy ones over the course of a half, you're completely screwed because they'll get enough of the other stuff and they'll defend you well enough. And so Zion, I thought he contributed more than he needed to of those easy ones. Yeah, and they really they tried to go point Zion when they played him at center at the start of the uh, end of the first, start of the second, and LeBron and Jackson Hayes were the bigs uh, for the Lakers. The Lakers start making their run, and Zion couldn't really do a ton against uh, his former teammate Jackson Hayes. And Hayes gave, gave him some pretty decent minutes, and LeBron took a charge dur- during that period. But he just the pick and roll stuff just wasn't really working. But they also, and I thought Zion, particularly after getting the charges, was just very slow. He just wasn't processing that fast. He wasn't attacking quickly. He wasn't making quick decisions. Uh, you know, I think as a passer, it seems like he's not as good to me as he was uh, back in the the original point Zion days uh, under Stan Van Gundy. Uh, now, would it be nice if they gave him a shooter that they could actually run some small, small pick and roll with? Uh, you know, maybe. I mean, that's. But he was out there with Trey Murphy. Like they, they, they had some things, but they just. You know, the, the, and he also just, he can, he only, he had one right-handed layup, but he's really just seems like more of a one trick pony than other. Like he can't really post up at all. Like he just doesn't, he doesn't seem to have like the same moves off the dribble as well where he actually is like you know that in and out dribble and and he's actually like kind of breaking guys ankles and getting separation like he's kind of just all one direction so yeah that's that's probably enough on the pals um lakers i I mean not not much else to say i mean they just dominated the game ad i think his performance will probably be underrated defensively because of what lebron did but uh, davis completely messed up uh, the pelicans inside game uh and uh the fact that they had no means uh, of spacing him out they have no means of even like putting him in pick and roll really ingram just wasn't able to create anything uh, efficient at all uh only got to the foul line twice like if you can keep him off the foul line you're probably going to be in pretty good shape and him and while ingram is someone who can kind of get to his spot against smaller defenders uh, and shoot over them there also like isn't that much of a tax like if you maybe if you don't have an elite guy on him he's going to be able to do some stuff but there isn't much of a tax for putting like a Torian prince on him for example because he's not going to just like blow by you and embarrass you. like he's going to get to the same mid-ranger that he's always going to get to regardless it's just going to be slightly easier yeah and, and the laker and of course there's nothing nothing doing at the rim well, and another either. guy who's like that is CJ McCollum. Yeah. Where the the downside risk of putting an inferior defender on CJ is not that severe. And I mean, we, we saw the Lakers, they didn't even have to do that because they were able to put Reddish. But if there was a possession where it was D'Lo or it was, you know, Austin Reeves isn't bad, but like it's Austin Reeves or somebody. It's like CJ is not not good enough to exploit that to make it a panic situation. Before we talk uh, Indiana and Milwaukee, I want to get into just what the experience here has been like. And you all know, of course, uh, maybe even to the annoyance of some, that I've been like a big stan of this tournament. If guys were going to play hard, I said I loved it. They certainly have been playing hard. You know, I I congratulate Evan Wash before the game uh, on uh, how well uh, this is all going. So 
certainly I'm coming from the perspective of thinking this is good. The timing and the travel of that first game is unacceptable. Like if you actually want to legitimize this thing as mattering, you can't put the Milwaukee Bucks in a situation that is just about worse travel than like any team is going to face during the regular season. Uh, to have, uh, I mean, they end, you know, what, like 10 o'clock central on Tuesday, and then they're on a plane. They get here, you know, probably like three, four in the morning on Wednesday morning. Then they have to get up and like do like a bunch of press conferences and, you know, maybe have like a bullshit practice. They had no time to prepare for Indiana, who, I mean, that extra day for Indiana to prepare, it, it was massive. And, and remember that because because they were trying to presumably avoid Monday Night Football, they put the one seeds, both of whom won, on short rest and the more distant seeds on longer rest. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm not going to like the Milwaukee Bucks flashed a number of problems in this game that were have plagued them all season. So I'm not going to tell you that they lost because of because of this but they also just were not it's much more difficult for them to be at their best to play their best and particularly the preparation time to have like an extra day to prepare and an extra practice uh that's just a massive advantage for the pacers and then like not only that travel aspect but the time of the game is insane uh for it to be at two o'clock pacific the stands were half full they people kind of trickled in throughout the game uh they had theater lighting in here and that's probably partially why because you didn't want to see how not full the stands were um certainly if any like bucks or pacers fans like actually wanted to travel for this thing there's no way they could have gotten here in time uh and so like there is a rationale within a good rationale within the bad rationale for why they did it this way because they have you have an hour and a half or so between the games to just like let the teams come out and warm up and uh do media after the first game and all all that uh, i mean it was still kind of surreal that like Giannis was giving his press conference while the next game had already started that was kind of weird to, to as someone who hasn't covered college so the reason for that is with that hour and a half break you don't want to waste that hour and a half on a weekday of the only like prime time window that you have so i think they're just like hey this is one of the worst of bad ops we're just gonna punt this first game for tv purposes and for fan purposes and we'll at least then have the second game be in a window where the east coast could see it started basically around the same time as the finals game although because of the first game it still ended up starting later it ended up starting at like 9 30 eastern uh which is still too late even for that game uh to maximize its viewership in the end so and then okay why thursday saturday well okay obviously you can't do monday you'll you'll, you'll have to go up against monday night football and so that now there's no college football so they can do the saturday okay so it's got to be saturday and so then what are you left with well it's got to be thursday okay well why couldn't you do wednesday night and thursday night well the travel is too hard like the you got 82 other games in the regular season basically and so like it would make uh, you you're already like screwing over the bucks uh, with this uh you know could you do it on sunday and i can't do it on sunday there's there's football on sunday so they do have some scheduling issues and maybe this thing will have enough gravitas now that they fix all of these but no that that game is just ridiculous like if you want this to be a showcase for the league 
you can't have it be like this. Agreed. And I am thrilled that the early game was as competitive as it was because that, that you know, you, you kind of let that stuff kind of fall. At least I was able to let it fall to the side a little bit. It frustrated me before the game started, but then I was able to kind of let that dissipate and enjoy it for what it was. And what it was, was a, a really fun basketball game that I would say largely hewed to our very high expectations of it. Whether you want to talk about the, the offense you know, I, I made the line about how it was first to 120 wins and only one team got to 120 and they needed that to win because it was 128, 119 in favor of the Indiana Pacers. And there's a lot to talk about here. Um, but I think I do want to start with the phenomenal performance of Tyrese Halliburton. The box score line, just to set it up, 27 points on 11 and 19 from the field, 3 and 9 from 3, 15 assists. And yes, that's right. Zero turnovers. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Yeah, I can't wait to see him in the next game. And he's just been absolutely incredible he didn't have the shot working quite as much i mean the the pacers didn't overall like this frankly if they had shot it decently they would have blown out the bucks in this one uh as it was they they ended up winning by a few possessions i mean the the fact that they put up 128 while going 7 of 33 from three was a a remarkable performance part of that was because they didn't turn it over at all they only had three turnovers in the first half and halliburton was the key again i mean it took 
to for him to against a Bucks defense that in theory is pretty good protecting the rim. He only went three of nine from three, only took two free throws. So for him to be eight of 10 on two pointers and also have 15 assists and also have no turnovers, that shows you like how unbothered he was. And they flummoxed him a little bit with the zone. But other other than that, he just uh, had an amazing game. The pace that he pushed uh, was uh, amazing as well. Giannis complimented him after the games when he was asked about him saying like, yeah, I always think that the pace comes from your point guard and like he just plays with such pace and the rest of them follow and Obi Toppin also he he had a mixed game but he does really add to their pace as well with the way that he runs and all these guys like Isaiah Jackson, Neesmith, Andrew Nemhart, uh healed with the, his three-point shooting although he didn't he was 0 for 6 on some really good looks in this one. The Pacers just like it brought it to uh, the Bucks in a way that they just ultimately couldn't respond to in the end. The two dominant factors that we focused on in the preview, and I mean, were readily apparent. I'm not saying we we broke new ground here. Were the combination of Indiana's transition offense and Milwaukee's horrendous transition defense. That was a huge thread of this game. If you want to use the NBA's credited version of it, it was 11 to 7 in fast break points. But um, Queen the Glass had it as you know the Pacers only being in half court offense 74% of the time, which is very low. Not as ridiculously low as some that we've seen. And then the other one was, oh, well, the Pacers have no one who can guard Giannis. And correct, that that was true. Giannis had 37, 13 and 19 from the field, 11 of 13 from the line. That percentage was significant. And so the that kind of framing of this game, I thought it ended up being completely right. Yeah, I thought the Bucks did like a semi-reasonable job in the first half. In the second half, they didn't. And at some point for Milwaukee, you just, and we'll talk about the Giannis part in a second here too, but you need to just say, and you know, some of this Bobby Portis, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, I always said, I think the key is getting your big men back first in transition, especially with the Pacers not hitting your three. You got to just say, hey, look, bigs, just run back to the front of the rim and turn around. And you know what? If they're good, maybe you're not up with the, the guy that you're guarding. Maybe you'll give up like an open three on a drag screen transition. But at least you're not going to have Isaiah Jackson just sprint down the floor for a dunk while Giannis is like glued to Obi Toppin in the corner and never even sees him after and i think it was uh jackson was being guarded by portis but uh, uh, this is after make portis was like around the rim he's going for the offensive rebound and so jackson beat him and Gian- but Giannis just like never moves like the and then Giannis actually got dunked on a couple of times early which i was like good like at least he's he's been having more of a presence but like there were so many times i thought that Giannis really like again like, it was notable how few times he was reacting to take away the rim and just for like yeah okay Halliburton is unbelievable in pick and roll but they're not hitting their threes like get you know get some backside help from Giannis Antetokounmpo they just didn't really have that like they gave up like a like Miles Turner went crazy around the basket too like they they really both in the in the transition game topping like these are these are like dunks that they're giving up in transition it's not like okay we got back we just weren't quite organized and someone hit like a trail three on us or something like they didn't even make them get to the trail three it was horrendous and the combination of bad transition defense 
poor boxing out and giving up a lot of second chance points and just sheer like half half assery where they were they would just like not pick up anybody or like they would have two guys pass the ball and then like you know like ahead of the but behind the play and then no one like is realizing oh we have two guys behind the play therefore i should try to mitigate disaster and be somewhere in the way and what i just can't figure out with the bucks is they weren't this awful at this specific thing last year. I don't want to lay this all at the feet of Adrian Griffin because I don't think it's all his fault. And swapping from Drew to Lillard doesn't exactly help matters, even though I don't think Lillard is like the primary culprit of this. But they are awful at something that not only should they not be this awful at, but that is sabotaging the things that are going well for them defensively. And so for the Bucks to be even, I, I mean, this is a specifically bad matchup because like I brought up the the paces only being credited with 11 fast break points part of that is the flawed nature of the way these are logged that you can't get transition you can't get credited NBA fast break points off of a made basket because I honestly think they got more than 10 off of made basket and I wanted to talk about Giannis but I think this is a good time to bring this up Adrian Griffin in his presser was asked about crunch time and he said pretty much unprompted I need to do a better job of getting us into things. I was like, okay, that's interesting. And, and Griffin, you know, recall at the start of the year, he had Brooke Lopez playing aggressively. And we've talked about maybe some of the reasons for that, like that they thought they're going to have more of a defensive group. They make the trade right before training camp. They've kind of been planning on doing this. He was probably was hired based on, on the idea that he was going to be more aggressive and, you know, kind of sold Giannis on that. And, all right. So, so that didn't work uh quote-unquote bucks veterans go and talk to him and say let's get brooke back in the drop and that then they uh at least uh, started to get more competent in their half-court defense at that point in time even though they're still kind of struggling there too and then griffin says this and also when asked about crimes let's remember they've been a good crunch time team uh damian lillard says yeah we got to just get more organized he specifically went through these two turnovers that they had and credit eric name for asking about those he specifically went through the two turnovers that they had at the end that killed them in the last two minutes of the game one was like a pick six by bruce braun and dame was like yeah i didn't we came up it was after a make and we didn't know what we were in we didn't really have a play call and so i tried to like kind of go get the ball from chris but i we miscommunicated bruce brown like shot the gap but and got a layup then the other one was like, like i tried to throw a pocket pass and like it didn't work and, and then Giannis said the same thing like we got to be more organized and Stephen a smith is actually here and he like got Giannis to elaborate more on and Giannis even said you know I, I don't take this as like something crazy that he's like disgruntled but he's like yeah I don't want to like throw anyone in, under the bus like we've got to do a better job out there it's not the coach but then I mean whenever they say that yeah it's the five guys on the floor have to execute like that's that's the cliche when you're kind of being asked about the coaching uh and simply there's a self-fulfilling prophecy if you're being asked about the coaching that then maybe the guy uh ends up uh getting fired later but so it's not exactly like a one one-to-one -one of like oh one the guy says that and then the coach ends up getting fired but clearly you know that was they 
said that to Griffin is my takeaway to, that said, hey, you got to get us into stuff in these circumstances when it's a dead ball and we get to what we want to get to. And Giannis kept saying like, yeah, we don't have a great understanding of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish offensively and defensively on these possessions. And again, like they're, they're the twin factors of this is a veteran team that most of them have been together a long time. But one of the key factors came in late, which is Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley's new. But I mean, what you're what you're asking Malik Beasley to do, at least isn't new for him. And I mean, especially now that he's firing away from three, he only took four in this one. But generally speaking, he's been better over the last few weeks. And for Milwaukee, I mean, there there is this idea which I espoused when I I didn't think that they were going to make it as far as they have already in the in-season tournament because they'll my hope and expectation is that they will be better in April May June than they were ever going to be in December because there's just some of the stuff that you you have to figure out and process and I mean there are a lot of adjustments for Giannis Lillard is so different from any player they've ever played with but there's more that they need to do to get better from here and I thought that Indiana and some of this is Rick Carlisle some of it is just they are wired in a way to do this already like it wasn't like they had to change their strategy like Obi Toppin running past everyone is what he wants to do anyway but the Pacers just just took him apart in those in those facets now I will credit Griffin since we're talking about him that going to the zone which they actually did in the game that they lost when Dame was out that Giannis had 54 to the Pacers mm-hmm. earlier but they probably I, I didn't watch that game but they probably played in the second half more zone than any team has played in a half all season they even were going to it on misses sometimes every once in a while it's a little difficult to determine whether they're in zone or not if there's not that much movement by the offense but they went crazy with it and it, it worked for a time like it definitely got them back into it in the third quarter to slow them down it also helps when you're playing zone if you score on 12 of 13 straight possessions so you can then set up the zone and also frankly it probably helped them organize their transition a little bit because like we we're saying the big has to get back in the zone that you're playing a two three like you have to get to the baseline that's that's where you're supposed to be standing um so i will credit griffin for going to that adjustment and i thought it did change the game you know, I, I asked him about that and, and he said that was kind of the idea was just to get us more organized and and like take it out of halberton's hands which uh, you know that that worked a little bit better pacers then ended up about halfway through the quarter starting to solve it andrew nembhard actually was huge with that getting the ball at the foul line he hit a couple of foul line jumpers they just they decided we're not going to just like run pick and roll or try to drive by our man like we're going to actually like get behind the defense and they they took advantage of the defensive three second because you can it's really hard for the big to like be there when the guy catches the ball at the free throw line uh because he's got to kind of be out of the way he can't just be standing right in the lane the whole time so the Pacers started to to figure that out, but it at least slowed them down some. I couldn't tell in like the last few possessions whether they got out of the zone. Like there was one play where Lopez got switched on to Halbert and Halbert and blew by him for a layup. Uh, but like, and they just ran a pick and roll and nobody else ever moved. So they might've been in zone and they just like got stuck in a switch out of that uh, on the pick and roll or, but it did seem like they went away from it a little bit late from what I could tell. I'm just, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. And the Pacers obviously scored exceedingly well uh, down the end. Bucks uh, had those two turnovers and uh, also missed a big three and did not. Let's get back to Giannis's yes, offensive game though. You want to, you want to take the lead here? Well, they started with Toppin on him, and we talked about, like, you know, should they start Neesmith? Like, who's going to guard him? Like, Miles Turner can't deal with him. 
Toppin was not the answer, uh, and to the point where they ended up going with Buddy Heald on him instead because the Bucks. It looked like it was just going to be a crazy shootout. The Bucks scored 19 points before the first TV timeout, just under seven minutes. Giannis goes completely crazy. Then Toppin, they put Neesmith on him for the rest of the time. Obviously, he misses some time as well. But the Bucks score 19 points in basically about five minutes there. Then they score eight points in less than two minutes when Toppin comes back in the game, middle of the second. And so Rick Carlisle calls timeout, and Toppin basically never matches up against Giannis again as the, the Pacers made a nice run towards the end of the second to lead 63-51 at halftime with Heald as kind of the Giannis stopper because obviously you don't want to put Turner on him. You need Turner there to help. You don't want to put Isaiah Jackson on him, uh, who we'll talk about more at some point. And then the other problem... And, and I thought this was actually good from the Bucks too, is they ran a lot of four or five pick and roll when Toppin was on Giannis. I mean, Toppin can't guard Giannis in an ISO, but he really can't guard him in a pick and roll. And so then you had Giannis coming downhill on turn and Giannis got like multiple dunks out of that action. And it didn't work as well once they had Neesmith or Heald on it because Giannis isn't like an unbelievable like pick and roll craftsman. And so those guys could kind of get into him a little bit. And then, but uh, they still had no answers for Giannis. He, he was isolating at the elbow and uh, then at the end, and he also was hitting his free throws. I mean, he was fantastic most of the way. And you thought that that was just going to be easier offense than anything Indiana could do. At the end, they run two pick and rolls with Giannis with Malik Beasley setting the screen to try to involve Halliburton. And I would say those were maybe like two of the four times in the entire game that they explicitly tried to go at Tyrese Halliburton, which is not very good. <laughs> No, <laughs> like, like, why not have Dame uh, get a screen from Beasley? You can work that. That uh, another example, I think, of like how they didn't know what they wanted to get into. But they actually got two wide open threes. They got one for Beasley, and they swung the ball, and I think they got a Middleton wide yeah, open was, three. But yeah, well, I believe yeah. it was Middleton. Yeah, but they, uh, in the corner, out of that action, they just missed both of them. But they were getting good stuff. But then they went away from that to Dame. Which, and as we talked about Sunday, Dame's been unbelievable in the clutch this year. But uh, he wasn't able to quite. He to me, Giannis had the easier matchup uh, than Dame potentially, or they should have tried to get Dame. I mean, how about like you know a little uh, one four five pick and roll or something, or, or you know one whoever Halberton is guarding, and then five or four pick and roll with Dame. Uh, that that really uh, to get you know Bruce Brown out of the play. I thought Bruce Brown actually was pretty good on Dame uh, in this one, but yeah, they they didn't really have much intentionality with any of that stuff what else we got to hit on from this hopefully andrew nemhart is okay um it didn't it didn't look great on tv so he was pushing hard for a a, a transition finish and it looked like he hyperextended his knee yeah that he just blew a tire right he didn't even he didn't step on anyone i couldn't really no, see it, it, was, from it was, I was sitting but there, no, there, there was no no misstep it was yeah. it looked to me like he hyperextended his knee we do not know anything other than he didn't play in the rest of the game yeah and, R- and Rick Carl, I said he hopes he's okay it was a hyper extension but yep. it, it doesn't sound like they're incredibly concerned which is good um so yeah. i thought that and Nemhart had... was also actually pretty good uh, on dame as well he did yeah that was what made me think of him uh, he did a good job there and then he was a key zone breaker at times for the for the pacers it was a kind of a mixed bag overall i would say for the pacers bench mcconnell definitely did tj mcconnell 
things out there and he caught the Bucks for a couple of big steals. And I thought that it was another element of Milwaukee not really having a functional scouting report knowledge of like TJ McConnell, not only is he a, a distinctly like strengths and weakness player, but he's been in their division for a while now. Like it feels like you could know, okay, you leave him for the shot, guard him here, do these sorts of things, and not even like playoff scheme, like you do all these all these things with him. And they and then they also seemed surprised for the most part. There was one player, I wish I remember who it was, who kind of guarded themselves against it, but like they didn't expect him to be in the like trying to force turnovers in the backwards. Like that's what he does. Like the the TJ McConnell experience is a couple of very specific things, and it worked better for the Pacers than I than I think it will work for them against the Lakers. Yeah, and TJ, I mean, he he played really well, I, I thought, and you know they didn't try anything creative like putting Luke Cornett on him the way the Celtics did necessarily, but he pushed the like he's exactly who you don't want to play against when you just played thirty six hours before and took a flight to the West Coast and. So, so he was fantastic there, pushing in transition, getting backcourt steals, uh, just lending overall pace to the offense, be, being a general pest. Uh, we were at least saved the massive conflagration that would have been TJ McConnell and Jose Alvarado matching up with each other in the final. So that's, uh, oh. I, I may have had to leave town if that had happened because it would have, it would have just been too dangerous to be like anywhere, uh, within, you know, a few miles radius uh, of, of that uh, energetic battle but yeah tj was great they didn't really find a way to take advantage of his issues and they, they don't have the personnel to like put a center on him necessarily because the center just has to guard the center <laughs> for the other team and they don't have if you put you know brooke lopez on tj mcconnell then your center is being guarded by one of their little Pucian guards like uh, campaign so they don't really like i mean that's and that's kind of part of the problem i think frank madden tweeted about this and i thought it was good it's just they have no other than the zone there's just like no off-speed pitch they can go to there's no one they can bring in off the bench for a different look a different way of playing now their fastball is, should be very good on both ends but other than the zone they really they don't have size they can't go like some crazy matchups like in a playoff series they're just gonna have to kind of do what they do and they're not you worry that they're not going to be able to necessarily respond to adjustments with different personnel different strategies not to mention the fact that they which is ironic because like bud did have the personnel to do that and i just kind of didn't do it enough and now that they have another coach who might be willing to adjust more then they, they like don't have the personnel to do it oh um, yeah yeah and um and then to kind of continue the thread of the pacers bench i thought this unsurprisingly was a very challenging benedict Mathurin game he you know doesn't doesn't if he doesn't have the three ball working which he didn't tonight then the drive game requires players not being there you know ideally not having a good guy on him but and and he's just you know first of all getting him even if buddy healed missed all six of his threes in this game getting him out of the starting lineup is has really helped a lot of things work but he's not good enough generally to me defensively to like really make an impact there he was plus 17 but that wasn't matherin who was doing it and then his offensive game it, it it's hit or miss depending on the circumstance Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? 
That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, Matherin, seeing him in person, I got a better feel for just how poor his decision making is when you just like you'd see guys open. He wouldn't just like how obvious it was that he's making the wrong decision uh, a, a lot of the time. And, and I thought he did at least compete defensively, like when he got switched on to Giannis or whatever, and he does run the floor hard. But and they, he got, you know, a couple of mid rangers. But I was also really wondering at times in the first half, like why they were still playing him over Nemhart in because all right ben is probably a better shoot like nemhart's shooting it poorly this year and that's part of why his role has been slightly minimized but it's not like ben matherin is like spacing the floor like he doesn't take these open shots like he just kind of gets in his own head and you know i think it was caitlin when we she and i talked before the season she spoke very cogently uh, about those issues and and they stuck out however a pacer who i thought was fantastic off their bench was isaiah jackson and we had talked about him playing a key role in our preview the the energy the rim protection made a huge difference only credited with one offensive rebound but he was making the bucks work more on the defensive glass than other guys were and then he was changing some shots around the basket he was he was physically present where they needed him to be at 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 moments in time and that was extremely important and you know i i think that against most opponents he's the backup center that i would be prioritizing just because i value what he brings more than more than jalen smith who is currently dealing with an injury and I, I thought he made a huge difference yeah he's got pretty good hands defensively he can move he's we've talked about how some of the stats are are intriguing about him being a a, a good rim protector and he he definitely caused some problems like uh, for Lillard at the rim for example uh, on some of his drives now he's thin and but they did a good job of fixing it so that he didn't get matched up uh, against Giannis too much with Giannis being able to go right through him and you know part of that was Aaron Neesmith as well Neesmith uh, I thought just the way he gets into guys full court the energy that he brings he was another one of these guys who just had a higher energy level really than anyone on the Bucks uh, at any time uh, and I mean that that's kind of the other thing that they're missing too like Bobby Portis to me has slowed down from an energy perspective like you don't feel him in that way and he doesn't frankly do a ton more than that if he's not giving you that energy like the, the, there's times where I felt like Bobby Portis just you know he used to like really sprint the floor he there are times when he was like getting beaten down the floor on the other end that that wasn't too great um you know Neesmith was also like the primary on Giannis for a lot of the game and yeah he was totally overwhelmed and that when Giannis would get the ball at the elbow like he's able to just go right through Neesmith that's not a surprise but every once in a while 
they would at least get some help at the rim and uh Neesmith hit a, a huge three to end the first half maybe it was the third quarter i can't i think it was the third quarter act yeah it was the third quarter they're down they're down six he hits a huge three off a halberton pass to get them within three and then they seized the momentum after that at the start of the fourth uh he did have a terrible over the backbreaker on chris middleton that was very reminiscent of his boston days but uh, in the end he was a, a big positive for them also and a lot of teams would really be happy to have aaron neesmith and the pacers essentially if the pacers had just traded malcolm brogdon and gotten off his salary and gotten Aaron Eastwood, like that still would have been a good trade for them. It ended up being that they got like Ben Shepard, I think, out of that deal. Though no, actually, no, I think they traded. It, they would have had twenty nine, then they traded that to that became Julian Straw that they traded back for like some seconds and, and a, a, a later pick there. But that was that was impressive. Uh, oh, I sent it to you via G chat, but I was watching Mathur and I was just like, oh man, if the Pacers had taken Shaden Sharp, who was available, was the next player taken, they would be in a different place right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely, yeah, what they do at shooting guard in the long term is going to be fascinating. And well, and what they do and what they do at the three, four. I mean, because we don't know how long Bruce Brown is going to be an answer. I thought he was a pivotal part of this game. But then Toppin and Neesmith, like where all those guys fit together is such a massive question for the Pacers. And the good news is they have the financial flexibility to kind of make it work, but they're going to have to make it work. And I, I wonder where where that's going with them. And now, because of the brilliance of Halliburton and everything else, it's sort of like the Pelicans, where you get good enough and things that we didn't really care about before now all of a sudden really matter because you get into the great game or you get into like the semi-great game and then we actually care. We focus on you like you're a team that matters. A couple other small notes here before we talk about Saturday's game. I did like Rick Carlisle when Damian Lillard was in without Giannis or Middleton. He just pressured up Damian Lillard in the backcourt for a couple of possessions, and that led to Malik Beasley, Marjan Bochamp trying to make decisions. They didn't score, I think, on either of those possessions. That was just like a nice little thing that also you probably, if you have an extra day to prepare, you can come up with. Bochamp, you know, doesn't really shoot it. Like, he doesn't hang out for threes. He's supposed to be maybe kind of that guy bringing the energy and he does you know he's a better defender than your beasley's or your campaigns uh, for example and they went they went to campaign and lillard together a lot in in this game um campaign just is not a very good passer like it really would be nice if if he could just like find the role man every once in a while like there are a lot of times that the guy was rolling to the basket and, and campaign just couldn't find him uh in the fourth quarter i was having flashbacks to the 2021 playoffs with bruce brown shooting floaters from the free throw line over brooke lopez <laughs> yeah we've seen it before uh particularly against the zone and, and bruce brown did a nice job of getting there uh he sprained his ankle early in the game and was able to tough it out pretty well um halliburton i mean just some of the passes that he threw the no look alley-oop for the reverse dunk to toppen in transition the jump scoop pass to toppen for a three in the left corner in the first half he had another pass to the roller i think it was miles turner where he got in the air near the three-point line on the left wing basically eyebrow faked whoever was under the basket to like run out to the perimeter and then like found turner for the layup at just as his feet were about to hit the ground 
the step back that he hit on Brook Lopez to completely ice the game. And that is a, a move. He, he takes advantage of how high his dribble is to just kind of wait to gather it. Like he, he doesn't really necessarily take another dribble, but he kind of like gets almost eight or 10 feet inside the arc. And then just with one dribble, he's able to kind of bounce it out back behind himself, back up and just not pick the ball up uh, until he's able to actually step behind the three-point line again going left the fact that he's added that three going left as well he used to really anytime he was in an iso before it was just like ifa shot step back to his right now he's got that on either side he's added a much quicker crossover as well to get separation that's how he beat lopez for the layup at the end so he's starting to become a guy that you have a lot of faith in going against opposing centers in isolation and that's a that's a big problem for the opposition for sure and there are very limited strategies you can go to which would be you know kind of like other than sort of the old houston rockets like warriors style of switching defense it's hard to imagine how you're going to slow him down and then even then they can go to cut some more like complex actions like Spain stuff where you can cause miscommunications. I mean, we saw the Celtics who are probably about as the best equipped to deal with him as any team that exists right now just uh, couldn't do it. I mean, maybe if you have a, you know, a Jalen Suggs type of guard defender, but you know, I mean, the Celtics got Drew Holiday that, that didn't work uh, against him. So it's really, I'm very, very curious to see what the Lakers philosophy is and whether they can use Anthony Davis and his presence at the rim to put enough pressure on him at the perimeter and, and slow him down. Do you want to transition into to the preview let me see if i have anything else here they eventually had to just take obi toppin out first they they took him off to start the second half they took him off of Giannis and they put him on chris middleton and the bucks realized that and chris middleton got two threes in a row and recall called him out and took toppin out uh and he was but he was able to come back in when the bucks had some more limited lineups what did you make of middleton's game and the state of his game right now he looked better physically on thursday than he did to me in some of the other games like he was he was moving around okay but he's still like other than some of those like you know the reads that he has to Giannis that they've that they've been doing for i don't know six years or whatever it is now i've wondered what kind of where his place is within the offense and the answer might just be he fills the gaps where nobody else kind of is but i so i thought he was fine i didn't think that considering the pacers play such limited forwards and they needed bruce brown on dame i thought they could do more tactically with middleton and he was efficient when they went to him they just didn't go to him that much yeah, maybe you're right. I I think, yeah, and he was 7 of 13, 4 of 5 from 3, had 20 points, did have 4 turnovers, including that key one late, where he kind of like waved off Dame Lillard and then tried to throw it to him later and, and it got intercepted. Yeah, it just doesn't look very explosive, obviously. I mean, he's kind of able to get to spots, shoot over guys. He had one like hook shot where he was pretty close to the basket and just looked like he blew a tire and airmailed it over the basket completely on what was he seemed like pretty open um now i was encouraged that he's able to play 30 minutes he would have been on pace to play 30 minutes in the nick game if uh, that hadn't turned into a, as much of a blowout as it did so he seems to be ramping up some there i will just have to keep an eye on where he's at physically like i i don't think that well i mean brook lopez is probably the third best player right now anyway but i think chris middleton is like your second best perimeter score in his current state i'm not i'm not sure that's good enough and then 
he's just kind of slow and unathletic uh, on the other end so he i'm hopeful the fact that he they ramped him up in terms of minutes uh, in this sequence uh, is a decent indicator that he's starting to feel better physically so we just we'll see where he's at 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 the end of the season we didn't talk enough about the when it came to the hustle uh the pacers offensive rebounds yes tj mcconnell i think rick carlo called it like the play of the season tj mcconnell's tip in uh, on an offensive rebound uh 15 in total for the pacers and pacer guards had 10 offensive rebounds in this game the pacers had eight offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter and i think six of them came from their guards and that and if you're allowing that to happen as the bucks that's just getting out hustled now Giannis said he and Brooke need to get more rebounds, but you know, Dame Lillard had seven defensive rebounds, but still the guards need to have a, a little bit more of an effort. And yeah, you're going to have a lot of defensive rebound when the other team goes seven to 33 from downtown. Like I said, I mean, the Pacers won this game by nine shooting 21% from downtown. And the Bucks didn't force any turnovers. They're not going to force any turnovers. That's just uh, unless maybe Jay Crowder could help a little bit, but he's another guy who's kind of past his prime. Uh, they're missing Pat Connaughton in this game too. Like maybe uh, the Bucks, if they could play Lillard, Connaughton, Crowder, who actually was shooting very well before this groin surgery, Giannis Lopez, like maybe that's one lineup they could go to that would actually defend pretty decently with just some size where they're not going to get overwhelmed. That, that lineup is slow, but at least they have some size and all right i think that's it so yeah let's let's talk about saturday what are the lakers going to do against tyrus alburn that that's the number one question obviously it's at least the number one question when the when the pacers have the ball and i think at least at times they're going to try to force it out of his hands um it's also to me much more of an austin reeves matchup than a d'angelo russell one defensively well well, it's going to be reddish obviously to start with well reddish will have the assignment but i think you're going to need to have i think they're going to hunt russell at least a little bit yeah um and and so i would i would be at least ready to go to reeves more aggressively in the cup championship and you know do some traps do some doubles and have a better plan in transition meaning any plan is better than what the pucks did but you could do better than that and that's you know free runners everything like that and then i don't know that there's like a scouting report defense stuff like Halliburton has gotten so much better at his weaknesses that it's it's a lot harder to do kind of the autopilot stuff. It's just not as successful now as it was two, three years ago. So who you have on him, and I think the length of Reddish will be good. And then something else to consider um, is how aggressively you react to Halliburton's drives. So I think that one of the things that the Lakers should do is this is going to sound a little bit weird, but react late. Because if you react early, you're giving Halliburton a pass that he's going to be able to read. And if you react late, you might you might be able to get him into some uncomfortable situations where he's not quite sure. He's not like, and especially if you have the length of Anthony Davis and potentially the instincts of LeBron, depending on who LeBron's defending, near the basket. I think that the drive game can be less effective against the Lakers than so you might want to just give up some of those you know force him to drive a little bit more I think they can do okay on him we'll see I said the same about Boston like he's been totally unstoppable this is all relative one thing that struck me about the Bucks guards trying to guard Tyrese is they're so bad defensively that the screen didn't even need to make contact they would just kind of bring the screener up there and this happens actually a lot that just the idea of like oh there's a screen then the guy will just like start driving 
And because the guy is kind of like optimized, like worried about the screen, he'll kind of slow down. And then the guy just gets around him just because there's a screen kind of around in the area. Like Tyrese is able to turn the corner and that enables like Miles Turner, who was great as a role man. We probably didn't talk enough about his offensive performance and also the two massive dunks that he had on Brooke Lopez uh, and how good he's become as a role man. But he's able to get out of there. The earlier you can get out of there and get the ball handler going downhill, the better off you are because now you're giving that ball handler more space, right? Because the number one thing that the big is worried about is I can't let the roll man get behind me if we're playing this in a drop coverage because then it's going to be an alley particularly when Tyrese Halliburton is the passer but he had just had so much space to come downhill at Lopez because Lopez had to back up very early because Turner was able to get out of his screen so early because he knew that Tyrese was just going to turn the corner whether he made contact on the screen or not the Lakers, I think, are going to, they have much better on-ball defenders. Like, Reddish is going to get into it. He's going to force Miles Turner to actually, and same thing with the Jared Vanderbilt, hopefully, who I'm sure will be the other guy that they go to, to force Miles Turner to actually make contact on the screen. And that means that when Halliburton turns the corner, by definition, Turner is going to be behind him. And then, but then Halliburton has to kind of slow down. He's got to wait for Turner to get back ahead of him to be, be the threat with AD. And then the, all, the whole defense can kind of recover. AD can be up a little bit more on Halliburton if needed at first. And then he doesn't have to retreat as early. And hopefully he can be up enough that then Reddish or, or Vanderbilt can get back into contact with Tyrese before he has to retreat to deal with the role man. Or you've got LeBron, maybe you can help out with the role man too. I think generally also they're going to be much more locked in on who can do something from the outside for the Pacers. Like Toppins hit a couple of threes. I think they're going to let make him prove that he can do that. Matherin, like LeBron and, and all of them, are they're going to know that Matherin like doesn't really want to take spot ups that much. McConnell is another one that, that you mentioned. And I think the, the Pacers play hard, but this is the Lakers intelligence is just a completely different animal from what the Pacers have been dealing with. And particularly this Bucks team that is veteran, but quite frankly, plays dumb. And so in the half court, I think the Lakers are reasonably well equipped. The question, though, is the transition, because we've been highlighting how bad AD is at getting back on defense, for example, if there's a, a miss or, or something like that. So that's where I think... And we'll see what level of energy LeBron is able to bring. I think it's going to be pretty damn high based on these last two games that he's played. Uh, he's been fantastic in pick and roll as we shift to the other side. Well, I don't quite want to shift to the okay, other side. Okay, go ahead. Yet. Sorry. Because there is a way for the Lakers to do decently in transition defense without ad and it's by by virtue of everybody else understanding something that the bucks didn't which is that when a shot goes up if you are not like in perfect position for a rebound get the hell back and like there were all these plays it was in bobby portis often infuriates me but there were all these plays where portis isn't involved in the action doesn't take the shot and then is just like eight feet behind everyone who's going back the other way and the lakers in part because of their like kind of stars and everyone else dynamic, like they can just tell the other three dudes, Hey, if you don't take the shot, if you're not back, then we'll sub you out. And that doesn't mean they'll stop everything. But if you could take away, ideally, you know, like this, this, some of the easiest stuff around the basket, force them to maybe take some transition threes, they'll make some of them, but you can lower the often the transition offensive rating a little bit. I think that could make a huge difference. And there, there are some basic execution effort things that I'm confident the Lakers will do 
that the Bucks just did. 100%. Uh, I think that's right. And yeah, I'm interested to see what ends up happening when Tyrese uh, is off the floor as well, where Indiana actually largely did pretty well against the Bucks. Yeah, on the other end, who's going to guard LeBron? No one. <laughs> Um, I think the player with the best chance is Neesmith, but LeBron is a, he is a, he, not only is he a tank, but he's a faster tank at times because of, because of how, how quickly his mind works than Giannis can be at moments. Giannis is, you know, faster physically. Like if they had to run, you know, I don't know, do a, do the shuttle drill or something like that. But I, I think Neesmith gives them their best chance. I mean, I think you can also more plausibly use Turner against LeBron than against Giannis. But, I mean, is he going to be in position? What else are you sacrificing if you're going to do that? Yeah, I mean, you imagine Neesmith will get a crack at it. I, particularly a motivated LeBron, Miles Turner's like a, probably a pretty decent pick and roll big. He he and AD have had a lot of success. I think LeBron's advantage against a team that just doesn't have a four who can guard. I mean, Toppin would, would just be, you know, a, a big problem. If, if it's Toppin guarding him, they will go to the pick and roll. If it's Neesmith, uh, I think they'll try to get LeBron in the post. But the number one thing they're going to do is they will not fuck around with Tyrese Halliburton. They know this playbook. They've gone up against Stephen Curry so many times, LeBron in particular. They The Celtics did some of it. They are going to go after him and after him and after him. And there also isn't really a great play. Maybe it's reddish early on, but there isn't necessarily a great place for Halliburton to hide. Like if it's Reeves, if it's Russell, like those guys actually... You know the other yeah. guy. You know the other guy who it is. Yeah, Torian Prince. He doesn't. He doesn't beat up small guys the way that you'd want him to. I'd actually. Yeah. That's where. That's where I. I put him in some of those matchups. Yeah. There. Well. Well. We'll see. I mean, Prince also can like set the screen and, and either sure. roll to the basket or or more likely uh, try to get a three. Now, if you're the Pacers, you are going to try to avoid switching. And I thought Tyrese executed in those circumstances much better in the Boston game in the second half than in the first half. In the first half, they're doing a lot of switching and he was getting beat up. So I would imagine they're going to stick with more just trying to hedge. Maybe you get the ball out of LeBron's hands. You got Turner underneath. You might give up some threes behind the play or you're going to say, all right, you uh Torian Prince you you want to beat us with a pick and pop three let's see if you can do that uh instead but that's I mean that's going to be the number one battleground because they are they are going to go after Tyrese like no like that's what LeBron does he's going to be locked in now maybe the Lakers just aren't going to have enough spacing to ultimately really succeed there but like this version of LeBron too like he is very motivated and what whatever it takes if it's getting in the post on Neesmith and drawing fouls uh, if it's putting Tyrese in pick and roll if it's running pick and roll with Anthony Davis obviously getting out of transition the fact that they have these other guards who can pass in Russell and Reeves that he trusts if he cuts to get him the ball. Like I think ultimately the Lakers are going to end up outsmarting the Pacers. And it's a question of whether the Pacers transition game can make up for that uh, intelligence deficit enough. I might like the Pacers if I felt like they had a matchup for LeBron. I just don't think that they do. If we were getting any less than the LeBron that we saw today, I would be, I mean, there was a yeah. point in or, the Bucks or, game. Or on Tuesday, for that matter, by the way. He was unbelievable sure. in that game, too. He was. 
And and so like the one of the ideas I had of how the Pacers could win this is like I don't think they're going to be able to stop the Lakers, but I'm honestly not sure that it would matter. Like they can one off makes really well. They can they can if the shots are falling at a, even a reasonable rate, just better than they were on Thursday. I think that they have have a shot there. And so I think this there there is a clear pathway for this being a competitive game, and I think there is definitely a reasonable chance that the Pacers win through that path. The challenge is they were able to withstand some of the Bucks' offense because of Milwaukee leaving some things on the table. And some of that is their personnel. Some of that is their lack of chemistry with each other. Some of it you could put on coaching if you wanted to. I don't think that's going to happen with the Lakers. And even though these aren't like divisional opponents or anything like that, as you mentioned, they've played teams like this and i believe they have more options they have more counter punches than the pacers do so what indiana is going to have to the way their pathway to win is they're going to have to do their stuff so much so well that it doesn't matter if the lakers succeed they just want the lakers like the lakers won't succeed enough and like i mean i don't think it's going to be this way the lakers had a 123.5 first shot half court offensive rating against the pelicans if that is like i don't know like 100 to 104 if it's the, if it's there, which is a that's still a well above average half court offense. I don't think that's enough to survive. But can they do that? Can the Pacers get them? You know that first shot half court offensive rating. That's going to be one of the key numbers they look at. Yeah, and I think that the physicality of the Lakers up and down the roster is going to be something that's different for Indiana. But Indiana obviously can absolutely win. I don't see this as like a pure toss up. I think this is you know kind of sixty percent chance Lakers. Also, the home crowd will will be big uh, for the yeah because there'll be people well. who travel from LA over the next couple of days. Well, I mean, and it was sold out already, and it was a total Lakers crowd even uh, for the second game. The first game, the atmosphere was less than ideal, but it was cool for the second game for sure so yeah I, i'm gonna pick, pick lakers here but i mean this pacers when when you have this type of offense you obviously can explode i just i think going up against a team that's playing this cohesively the way the lakers are and has this level of experience in this type of game and particularly because i think lebron james you know is gonna play a lot of minutes and play really hard that's uh i'm gonna pick the lakers here um, can I throw one more thing out there? Part of why I'm so excited for this game. Oh, yeah. There have been two players to me that have stood head and shoulders over everybody else. Thinking of the NBA Cup, all of the games, group stage and elimination games as a whole. I am thrilled, especially because they're so different in many ways than each other, that we get Tyrese Halliburton and LeBron James in the final. Yeah, that, both these teams are undefeated. And these were our top two picks after the group stage for MVP. That's a great point. So, yeah, this is really like I, I like it that we haven't we haven't at least with respect to what's occurred in the nba cup we haven't had any fluke results like this is not a fluke like these have been the two best teams so it's good to see the two best teams here like the bucks i thought were pretty unimpressive frankly that's why i wasn't really considering Giannis or lillard for mvp they blew out the knicks in the quarterfinals but in their group i didn't think they were particularly impressive whereas the pacers beat some really good good teams so yeah this is this is the two best teams in the nba cup this is a just result and i'm looking forward to finding out the winner and whether lebron james can say that he did something that mj never did i think that that's something he might be interested in so we will talk to you once we know the winner of the inaugural nba cup till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar 
Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.